Save that for this week. There's two more. Don't know, uh, that would be quite the surprise. In the good old days when you didn't know you were having an extra until actually you were having extras, huh? Well, we're in the middle of our series, uh, So You're Dead, Now What? Living in the Light of the End. And uh, we've been seeing that uh, Solomon wrote this uh, personal journal inspired by God called Ecclesiastes. And he shares it as a, in a sense, a recap to his life. He's had a full life, a successful life, lots of great things in his life. And towards the end of his life, he all of a sudden realizes that he was living life under the sun without the sun. And he realized that that was uh, it just, it just, it just, in a sense, uh, minimized everything. It minimized all the great projects he had been, all the accomplishments, all the pursuit, in a sense, of good times and pleasure was just minimized because he was living under the sun, in a sense, without the sun. And when we use the word sun, S-O-N, we're referring to Jesus Christ. And we're referring to his relationship with God. And Solomon, as he lived, with, lived his life, kind of was not engaged uh, with God towards the end, and then, or towards the middle, and then at the end he's, he's realizing that, and he's understanding that. Uh, if you'd like to catch up, uh, we're going to refer to some things we've talked about in the past, even the part A of this, this, this uh, message this morning. Uh, you can check those out uh, online in various forms, or you can stop by guest services and pick up a CD. But anyway, so we're, we're looking at chapter 4, and chapter 4 really has this idea of, of uh, five areas, five areas of life Solomon is looking at as he's, he's just feeling upset about them because like in the game of life, you, you really need to be engaged. And I shared last week that I am not really a game person. Uh, I like to forego the games, and most questions I had about last week's sermon was, so, what was the games like with your daughter's boyfriends last week? People, I mean, I was getting text messages and all this kind of stuff. So I, I, had, a, I had a near miss, and the great thing about it was that uh, we never got to the games. There was a movement where I thought there might be some, let's play games, but then the conversation went away. So, so I got to avoid the snarky comments I shared with you last week. Uh, stop cheating. Uh, put your phone away. Are you really playing? Are you playing? Or it's your turn. And again, those, those comments are really about engagement. And so as we look at chapter 4, we're trying to apply it today. So we're looking at these five scenarios, and we're only going to be looking at three this week, but we're looking at uh, three scenarios from last week that we didn't cover with this idea, it's your game of life, my game of life, and it's always our turn. It's your turn. So what you and I do with it is just so important. Uh, I've seen this quoted in various different ways, uh, different people it's attributed to, but you've probably seen this. Um, life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. And really, as we look at these five areas and these three today, we're going to see it's more about our response. Th these, these, these pieces of life that can be represented maybe with a game, um, it's, it's just happening. We're, we're, they're going to happen out there, and it's how we respond to them, uh, not that we're going to be able to avoid them. So as we think about this, the game of life, it is your turn, this under the sun, with the sun, uh, engagement, all those ideas. Uh, last week we thought about what Jesus says about this idea when he says, 
what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, not to be so preoccupied with getting so you can't respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. And last week we took some time and unpacked this verse, but again, this idea is that it's our game and it's your turn and what we do with it. And Solomon doesn't want us to get to the end of our life with regrets. And obviously Jesus doesn't want us to get to the end of our life with regrets. He wants us to live in light of the end. So last week we talked about, what were the two games? Life, sorry, and Jenga. And uh, this week we'll be talking about another game. And let's see if you can figure this one out. New Monopoly Millionaire, the first to a million win. I want to be a millionaire, so very fast. So Buy all of the things I never had. A different city every night. Now, now, someone sent me, a great theologian in our midst, a great hunter, sent me this when he knew I would be talking or touching on Monopoly a little bit, is this is what he sent me. This is his feelings about Monopoly. This is what he says. He says, when your family finally convinces, when you finally convinced your family to play a game and they break out Monopoly. And, uh, I, I, you know, there's a lot in that message uh, about Monopoly. So uh, some of us have had good experiences and some of us have had very bad family experiences when it comes to Monopoly. And so, you know, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about this poor person. Uh, I won't mention his name, but I was thinking about this person. I, I did a little research. This is what pastors do during the week. They look at these things. And uh, I found out there's a hunting oolopoly, I guess they call it. And uh, let me just uh, tell you the, the description of this. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, it's, 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 this is it. Buy dream hunting locations. Put up cabins and lodges and charge other players to hunt on your land. Sounds easy enough, but add in a hunting violation, a bad duck call, and a long haul in a tree stand, and it's a little more difficult and a lot more fun. Choose your token in advance to go hunting. Who knows? You may soon be hunting in big sky country, or you may put out the game, or you may be put out of the game for eating too much uh, crock pot possum. Uh, whatever happens, the hunt is on, and you might become the ultimate hunter. So, uh, Jason, when you, oh, did I just say his name? Gauss? There's a lot of Jasons here. When you, if you want, I can forward this on to you. But the problem with Monopoly, that's yeah, fun, and you say, say you're reading too much into it, Dave. But the problem with Monopoly is this idea of contentment. It's, it's a game where it's about more, 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 more. And uh, if you're like me, when I, I do have to play this game, I love to be in that position where everybody else is so poor and they land on my place that I have to lend them money to pay me. And he just keeps going on and on and on. And uh, again, there's, there's different forms of monopoly. There's hunting monopoly. There's all kinds of different forms. And just like in life, you and I find ourselves in all kinds of different games of life, different scenarios. And all those different scenarios, in there somewhere intertwined is this idea of contentment and where that fits with us. I, even in this, you cannot unsee after you see it, uh, it is, I even found a monopoly game called ABBA. ABBA Monopoly game. And uh, if you don't know who ABBA is, the singing group, 
be thankful about that. But if you do know, I, I can't imagine playing Monopoly with those four faces. And I just, anyway, it's just scary. But anyway, the bottom line with this idea is no matter what kind of Monopoly you're playing, it's easy to get stuck in this rhythm of life where contentment is just outside your grasp. It's just, so whatever game, however you want to define it, it's still kind of the game of life, but however you want to define it, when we get into this monopoly mindset, it's just, it's just never enough. So we're going to, again, look at Ecclesiastes. We're starting in verse 7. Uh, that's page 463 in that Bible you'll find around you. Um, also, you can uh, use your uh, a Bible app like a version. Uh, most of the verses should be up on the screen if you want to follow along that way. And if you don't happen to have your own paper copy of a Bible and want one, please feel free to take that one in the rack as a gift from Seneca Community Church. We think it's important that you have access to uh, God's Word on your own. So please uh, take that. So back to this idea about monopoly and the problem of monopoly. Uh, beginning in verse uh, 7, we read this. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom I, who am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless a miserable business. And it's one thing to play Monopoly around the table at home and have some fun with it. It's quite another thing when Monopoly is actually our lives, when contentment is just always out of hand's reach. And this individual by himself, he's toiling, 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 and it seems like he's successful and he seems to be getting more and more and more, but he's not content with what he has. And Solomon says, this is meaningless. And Solomon, again, lived this. He had everything. And he realized all the hard work, all my work and just going after and going after and going after it and more and more and more, never being satisfied, becomes meaningless. And earlier on when we talked about this idea of meaningless or vanity, and those kinds of things, we talked about it being almost like a, like a vapor, like a cloud, and it's something you can't, you, you see, and it looks like it's firm, but if you lean on it, there's nothing there. And so this idea of meaningless is I, I see this man, he's just building, building more, 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 and when he goes to lean on it and find his satisfaction, he leans into it and finds it won't support the weight of his life. Contentment obviously can be financial. Contentment can be relational. It can be personal with our capacity, who we are. We're not content. It just There's so many layers to this, but this idea of chasing after something and never being satisfied, that doesn't mean we become complacent, doesn't mean we become lazy, but not being satisfied, not finding contentment and peace is meaningless because whatever those themes are in our life, whatever kind of monopoly we're playing, even if we're playing Abba Monopoly, we're going to find that it will not support the weight of our lives. Came across this thought, never has there been so much available to satisfy in so little satisfaction. Think about that. Think about your parents. 
Think about your great or your grandparents or great grandparents. What they had before them was so much less than most of us. And yet there didn't seem to be this uh, this drive for more and this lack of contentment. I was sharing at one of the groups that I'm a part of this week that uh, there was a time where my dad talked about Christmas and maybe I even said this last week and he and he didn't he, they didn't have anything. It was the or, the blood orange in the in the toe of the the um the stocking that was like wow we got blood orange you know and. And, and all of that, and they didn't realize. They didn't realize they didn't have it much. Their neighbors didn't have much. It just wasn't on the radar, and they were satisfied and happy. And that's not to make us feel bad that we have a lot at our disposal. It's to make us go, wow, you have a lot at your disposal, and we still don't seem to be able to wrap our hearts around a, a spirit of contentment. Uh, in Luke, Jesus is telling the story. He tells a story about this uh, farmer who just had so much prosperity and he and he it's just so much uh, grain left over and because he has so much grain he just has to he tears his old barns down builds bigger barns to store it all and uh let's say yeah i knew i knew someone just couldn't let it go all right let's see if i can do this Right back. Yeah, all right, good. So again, so um, this this idea that he just continued to he couldn't couldn't get enough, and he just continues to build and build and build. And Jesus says this about his life: Beware! Don't always be wishing for what you don't have. For real life. And real living are not related to how rich we are. And when you hear that word rich, I just don't want you to think of finances. I want you to think of all those areas, uh, relationships, skills, whatever, whatever is, is a lot. It's not related to those things. It's related to something else, and we just keep striving for it. Uh, another uh, thought is this, is watch out for the assumption that everything in our life is for our consumption. Assumption, consumption. Do, do you and I assume that every resource that comes away is just for our use? Do we think greater than that? Do we think, wow, if I have it, uh, some of us who have lived in church world for a while and are percentage givers, and that, that's considered 10% of your income, either before or after taxes, however you want to figure it out. Uh, if, if you do that, the rest of it is for you to spend on yourself? I don't know about that. 90% just for me? I can just consume it? I, I don't think that's what, uh, what the Lord desires of us. I, I think when it, we think of it all for our consumption, uh, we're going we're gonna to be off. We're going to find that contentment seems to be, be a fleeting thing. And for us, it's just so important that we realize that what God entrusts to us, what resources God entrusts to us, financial, time, whatever it is, that we use it, and you've heard it said a number of times already this morning, that we use it to make a difference in people's lives, uh, wherever they're at. So we want to leverage our resources. When there's more left over, we want to think about how can I use this to make that happen so I can be a part of that. And it's by leading people into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And 
you may say, oh, Dave, you're just trying to get some more funds, and, and I, you know, you know, the finance team might kick me right now if I say this, but if you saw Vital Signs this week, we're, we're doing pretty good in that area. We, you know, and it, it's, it's great. It's great to, to be in a great place like that. It's great not to be uh, pressured with that. It's great to have a budget that, in a sense, we see what the Lord's blessed us with, and then think about new ministries out of that blessing rather than go, oh, I wish we had the resource to do this. Let's see if we can get that in and then do it. We're doing it the opposite way. And that's a fantastic thing. But it's not just about, in a sense, making the offering plate heavier. It's absolutely accurate that when you and I understand generosity in our own life, it affects our spiritual growth. So if you're a Christ follower, being generous catapults you, moves you along in being uh, in growing. Uh, when you assume it's all for yourself, um, it, 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 it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work well. So, so it's not just about, just not about uh, having larger income as a church family, as an organization. It's, it's about actually when you become more generous, that shows that something's happening in your heart. And if we go back again, our purpose is to help people grow relationally with God through Jesus Christ. And a part of that growth includes the way you use your time, the way you use everything, and the way you use um, your, your finances. So it's more about a spiritual growth on the individual person than just paying light bills, if you will. So this idea of monopoly, this idea of this problem of contentment, Solomon saw it, and he said when people get uh, just filled with that, it, it actually ends up taking away from life, and it becomes meaningless. And as Solomon looked at his own life in the twilight years, it grieved him that he had gotten caught up with that, and he had basically been playing Monopoly for a good portion of his life, and contentment was always escaping him. Well, there's another game to look at, and let's see about that. This is obviously Solitaire. Uh, how many remembers when that first came out on Windows, you know? How many of you guys got addicted to that? Someone, a few of you will admit. And, uh, you know, you'd play Solitaire, and they actually had problems where they would try to take it off employees' computers because it was just like on, on, on all the time. And uh, you'd wait for this moment. Oh, I don't know why that feels so good. So I just go, and you'd be like, ah, you, you know. And this idea, and you know, there's, there's also this truth in our life, and, and Solomon observes it in a sense that uh, sometimes we, we find ourselves playing solitaire with our life. And uh, it goes beyond wiring. Some of us are extroverts, some of us are introverts. Even an extrovert, even though they can be kind of outgoing or seem to perceive that, still can play life like a solitaire person. Uh, but the problem with that, obviously, is being alone. And Solomon sees this, and he says, What a shame... What a shame when you get stuck playing the game of solitaire. And if you're in faith, if you've placed your trust in Christ, if you said yes to him, uh, being a Christ follower is not to be a solo sport. It's not that you're a spiritual orphan. You're supposed to be in the game together. And some of us just uh, find ourselves playing solitaire on the meaningful things. Uh, this is what uh, Solomon writes. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Either, if either of them falls, da falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how, one, how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. The idea here is do we play solitaire? Do we let people into our lives? Do we move into other people's lives? Maybe there's been some times where we've been crushed or we've been hurt or we've had a bad situation. Maybe it's a bad friendship, a bad church experience, a bad small group, community group experience, whatever it is. And so we kind of start playing solitaire to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves. But Solomon looks at it and goes, what a shame to be on planet Earth and to just play solitaire and to be alone. You see, we've said this before, the most, we are the most connected, disconnected generation that's ever lived on the planet. All the social media, we're connected. You know things that are happening. Somebody comes in and shares to me something. I go, yeah, I know that. I saw that on Facebook last night. They're, oh, they were like almost surprised about that. Again, we're, we're very connected, but we're disconnected. It actually can be an illusion that we're connected by all this social media. And I, I think it's a great tool, and I like it, and all that stuff. But uh, when we lean into it too much, we find that we're connected, but we're disconnected. And then when something really moves into our life, there's, there's no network, there's no support system, there's no one around us. And then there are people in our lives. Uh, sometimes I've, I've had people, I go, you know, I'll say to them, well, I, I couldn't read your mind. I didn't know you were going through this. I'm up at the hospital. I'm over here. This happened. I go, you know, I, how would I know that? Because they, they're living their life alone. And they're connected, but they're disconnected. You know, and if we're going to have close relationships, and it's not having a hundred of these, it's having three or four or maybe half a dozen, we have to realize that intimacy, closeness, requires proximity. We have to actually be close to people. Uh, we need to get close. And Solomon, as he looks at life and looks at living under the sun, says, wow, how meaningless to be so isolated, so to yourself, that all you do is play solitaire. It's a shame. Uh, you miss this idea of synergy. And I may not get this technically right, but the idea that, you know, sometimes we think one plus one equals two, but in relationships, in, in situations, one plus one equals three. For some reason, you put two people together and they're pulling in the same direction and there's more power. So this idea that when we're separate, there's less, there's less of that power. You add another person to the equation, and the strength just doesn't double. It, it grows more than that. I'm sure there's some fancy you know, physics uh, formula for that, but I didn't get that. So, uh, Also, obviously, there's this idea of support. You actually have support. Who are the two or three people that you would call that would actually support you? I, I you know... Do you, do you have someone that you could call at 2 in the morning and, and they, would, they would get up and get to your house, get to where you are as soon as possible? Those kinds of relationships don't happen over a week. They don't happen over a month. Those kinds of relationships take time. And if we live a solitaire life, if we play a game of solitaire, we're going to find that when we need support, it isn't there. 
And that's why we emphasize community groups in our church. You come on a Sunday, you drink coffee with someone, you talk about the weather, you talk about this and that, but most of the time those conversations don't go really that deep. And, uh, and we want you to have those kinds of relationships and have that support built into your life. There's also the idea of relief. You're carrying heaviness in your life. You're carrying the weight of something, and it's just, it's just heavy. And you have somebody else who's close, someone who you can trust, and they can help carry that with you. Um, doesn't happen when you live a solitary life. Also, the idea of sanctuary. Sometimes when I'm doing premarital, well, no, every time I do premarital counseling, and I talk about uh, the marital relationship and, and having that person in your life, I said, what is so fantastic for me, and I think it can be for you, is when you find that relationship sanctuary. You find it safe. You can let your hair down. You can be who you are. That doesn't mean you're sloppy. It doesn't mean you're mean and inconsiderate, but it means you're not on. For some of us in customer service kinds of jobs, you can be feeling horrible physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, and when you're dealing with that customer, that service industry, you have to be on. It's not that you're being disgenuous. You just have to be, hi, welcome to, you know, whatever. And, uh, and to be in a place where you have someone that you can, and you don't have to be on, is such a gift. That doesn't happen when you live, or when I live, a solitary life. There's also this idea, as I was thinking about this, is, is we need to, as we're thinking about this and we're thinking about ourselves, and sometimes we think, wow, people need to come alongside to me. Do, do we make overtures to them? Occasionally I'll have somebody that uh, connects and uh, they're here and you, you try to reach out to them, hey, let's grab coffee, let's do this, and it just never, they just never can uh, pull it together to have that kind of a connection. And then later on they say, nobody cares for me. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If people keep asking to connect with you and you say, no, 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 can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, eventually they stop asking. And that might be a little bit more on you than them. So, but as you think about this, I think also there should be this heart is that we look for the lonely person. Uh, we have eyes for them. Uh, when we go into the commons, and boy, this will be kind of a test today, and you see someone standing by themselves for a few minutes, uh, and you're having a great time with your friend who you connect with all week long, suggestion, look for the lonely. Say, hey, Joe, hey, Susie, hey, whatever. We can connect tomorrow when we connect on the phone every day or whatever. I'm gonna go, I want to go meet that new person that's standing by themselves. Or if they're not new, we just look for the lonely person. Uh, so we open the door for that. I like what Rick Warren says. He says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. When you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. And probably you can think of some stories where in your own personal life you had something cooking in your life and it was just you and you ran fast. But because you ran alone, you ran out of steam. And then you can think of those times where you ran together, you find yourself running farther. So, um, Also, I like this other quote I came across just when we're thinking about uh, life and some of us you know, are single and we wish we weren't. 
Uh, just a reminder, it's better to be single and a little bit lonely than to be in a relationship and be miserable. So as you're thinking about all of this and you're thinking about playing solitaire and how all that works and how all that unfolds in your life, if, if you're single, yes, you need, to, you need to not play solitaire. You need to have those people in your life. But again, watch out for rushing into those relationships that uh, can make you miserable. You know, things don't change uh, and it, you know, instantly, especially if you're looking to get married or something like that. And you say, well, that's the answer to my life. Uh, if you're not completing Christ before, you won't be in completing Christ after you're married. That's a whole other uh, message. So. So this idea, again, of solitaire. Uh, then thirdly, we have this idea of uh, shoots and ladders. And uh, let me, if you, I had to remind myself of this. So I, on YouTube, you can find anything. So I found a little video that tells us how to play. Shoots and ladders, how to play. The object of the game is to be the first player to reach the winner square, number 100. Setup. Lay out the board and put the spinner within reach of all the players. Each player picks a character pawn and places them off the board right next to the number one space. Everyone spins the spinner. The highest spin goes first. If it is a tie, then the tied players spin again. On your turn, you spin the spinner and move your pawn exactly that many spaces forward on the path, following the increase in numbers that wrap around the board. Pawns always move along the path towards the higher numbers. If your pawn stops its move on the bottom of a ladder square, move that pawn to the top of the ladder. If your pawn stops on the top of a shoot space, you move your pawn to the bottom of the shoot space. The first player to reach the number 100 winner space wins. Go on, you got it? You got all that? Good. I couldn't take the three-minute version of that, so I had to speed it up. Just in case you forgot, shoots and ladders, uh, the idea of getting to the, to the winner circle, and you just go, 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 and you got to get to that winner circle, you try to make sure you're going up the ladder, you make sure you don't let it on the slide, slide down, and you, you make sure you're, you're moving in that direction. But shoots and ladders made me think of the fact that sometimes you and I are playing the games of life, and let's say it was a ladder, and the ladder is actually a great ladder, and we're making progress, but we got the ladder, you may have heard this, leaning against the wrong wall. And so we're heading to a winner's circle, but we're not heading to the winner's circle we really want to be. And I was thinking about this. I, I had to think about this situation I had heard about. Is there anything worse than watching Jim Marshall run the wrong way in an NFL game? There's nothing worse than that. Nothing. There's no play ever. You can't even find a play more humiliating than that play. Stops, throws, completes it to Kilmer up at the 30-yard line. Kilmer driving for the first down, loses the football. Seeing the goalpost kind of triggered, you know, pick it up and run. It's picked up by Jim Marshall, who's running the wrong way. Marshall is running the wrong way. We all laugh, but have you been there? Have you had your ladder? Have you had your goal line and you discover you're running in the wrong way or you're climbing the wrong way? Are you going to get to a place that you think is the winner's circle, success, and you find out your ladder was against the wrong wall all the time or like our football player, you ran in the wrong direction? Solomon writes, better a poor wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. Better, you see, it's better to go in this direction than that direction. Sometimes we think this is the way to go, but again, our ladder is against the wrong wall. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born into poverty within his kingdom, 
I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This, too, is a meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And without digging into all of this, this is this idea of going in a direction, thinking that this is the place to be, this is the arrival point, and then finding that you're moving in that direction and it really isn't the place to be. Said another way, if your ladder is leaning against the wrong wall, every step you take gets you closer to a place you don't want to be. Do we slow down to think about where our ladder is leaning? Or are we just so fast-placed? We're going, we're going for the winner's circle. It's out there. We're going for the touchdown. We're going for the end zone, and we're going, going, going. And we haven't even stopped to see that we're running in the wrong direction. We're actually running to a place we don't want to be. Solomon lived that. He realizes, I ran in a direction to a place I didn't want to be. And the only way to figure that out is to slow down, renew our minds, Romans 12, 1. Renew our minds and ask ourselves, is our ladder? It's better to have a mid-course correction than to be so in in a direction that we feel we can't change direction and get to the place when we arrive there, we go, what am I doing here? How did I get here? And we realize our ladder was against the wrong wall. Jesus says this about leaning against the right wall, I'd say. He says this in Matthew 6. He says, Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provision. Don't worry about missing out. Sometimes, honestly, the reason I don't lean in to a God reality, to a God initiative, to, a, to God's provision is because I'm afraid of missing out. And then I realize I really missed out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. You see, that's a ladder. That's a life leaned up against the right wall. And every step gets that individual to the place they really want to be. So as you think about the games you're playing, the game of life, you think about different versions of Monopoly, what, what, does, it, what does it really matter besides, you know, enjoying life or besides not, you know, meaning too much, you know? What, what, what's the, what's the, the big deal about that? What, what if... What if, it's, what if I just kind of live my life the way and it doesn't go that great, but that's okay, it's just me? Uh, there's some big deals with this. You see, every life matters. Every life matters. And where you're traveling matters. And someday, it will really, really, really matter to you. 
Because the bottom line is this, and we're going to talk about this for a couple seconds, so don't put your notes away when you hear the bottom line. <laughs> uh, no matter what the game, there is always a scoreboard. No matter what the game, no matter what the game you're involved with, no matter what kind of my, my Monopoly game, no matter the Jenga, no matter the Sorry, no matter shoots and Ladders, no matter Solitaire, there is a scoreboard. And a couple weeks ago, I referenced this. We didn't have time to get into this, but I'm just going to touch on this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.13, it is in your notes. There's a couple blanks with it, because it's out of the message translation. Eventually, there's going to be an inspection. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you will be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. See, eventually our life is going to be measured. There's going to be a score for our life. It's not a score to get us into God's presence. It's not, oh, now you finally got over here. No, no. there's just an inspection, if you've said yes to Christ, with how you played the game, how you used your life. And the inspection will be so thorough and so specific that you and I won't be able to get away with the thing. It will be found out. Growing up in high school, I worked on a vegetable farm. And uh, one of the things we have to do in, uh, is pick uh, beans, green beans. And we'd pick them and put them in a bushel. And uh, the way the deal was is Mario, the farmer, was trying to motivate us. So whenever we were picking beans, it went from hourly wage to buy the bushel wage. And uh, we lived on the outskirt of town, and two of these kids came and joined us to, to work with us from inside town. And and uh, to our surprise, they finished picking the beans a lot quicker than Vinny and I did. And we were the regular workers. And so they put their bushel aside. Uh, time to go. I think it was like $7 for a bushel. Wow. Man, I, that sounds not like a lot of money. But anyway, it took a lot of time to pick that bushel. And uh, later on, it was discovered that they had filled the bottom of their bushels with rocks and weeds. So it was only about this much beans on the top. Now, granted, they never worked at Marie's Farm again, but uh, they, did, they did get out with their $7. And uh, they, they, I don't know what they were thinking. They thought that they'd get away with that, that, you know, that no one would ever notice. Well, people noticed. Mario noticed. I noticed. We all noticed. Some of us are filling the bushel of our lives, not with beans, but with weeds and rocks. And so far, we've gotten away because we haven't had the inspection yet. And someday, it's going to come out. We won't get by with a thing. And that's to not make you feel guilty. It's to give you a warning. It'd be a better thing to get to the end of the day and find your bushel of beans, mostly beans, and not a lot of rocks and a lot of weeds. Again, that's not going to get you into God's presence or not. But there is this idea that we are rewarded for our faithfulness. Paul again writes this, our work will be shown for what it is, the way we use our life, our toil, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. The idea of uh, precious metals and burning off all the dross off it. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. 
If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Again, your actions, it's the grace of God that saves you, not, not your actions. So, so it's not like if you've said yes to Christ and you, know, you play the game and you, and, you, and you fill it mostly with rocks and uh, weeds. It's not like you're going get, to not get into heaven. Even though as one escaping through the flames. And the in- imagery there is this idea of being near a fire and your clothes smell like the smoke, but you didn't get burned. So you make it, but smell the smoke. It was pretty close. Pretty close. So no matter what the game is, there is there is always a scoreboard. And so we need to remember that. And Solomon wants us to know that because he knows there was a scoreboard for his life. And he wants to save us from some of the heartache he experienced at his time on that day. Let's pray. Grace Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the story of Solomon. We thank you for his notes. We thank you for his openness, his candor, uh, the fact he shares these things with us, even when it makes him look really not that great. Uh, We thank you for that, and I ask that you would help us to be a people that don't have to learn things the hard way. Uh, I was reading that this week in another book, and I don't want to be a guy that has to learn it the hard way. I want to be able to hear about it and make a course correction so I don't have to suffer the results of going the same way. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has not said yes to Christ as of yet, they've not uh, placed their trust in you, they've not acknowledged their need for a Savior and forgiveness and believe that you died for them and rose again, I pray that even in this moment as we move into celebrating what that all means through communion, uh, that you would really speak to their hearts. And for those of us who have already done that, uh, maybe it's been weeks ago, maybe it's been years ago, I'd ask that you'd help us to really take a look at what we're putting in our bushel basket and how many beans are really in there and how much stuff is just uh, weeds and rocks. And Lord, we want to get to that day where we just don't pass through the flames as one who just escapes with 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 the smell of smoke. But there's a lot more that we've done and done well. We thank you for giving us that warning. And uh, we also thank you for giving us the strength in you to live according to that warning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.